Hello, podcast listener. This is your host with the most, JJ, along with my great buddy, the producer, Tucker Lucas. We uh, have a special episode of JJ Meets World for you today. Our guest is Blaine Cook. He is an author, and we get to talk about his book, The Nearby Resident, as well as Tucker brings me something that brings me great pleasure at the beginning of this. Uh, That's the tease. You're going to have to sit back and uh, find out what that is. All of this and so much more on today's episode of JJ Meets World, but first a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of JJ Meets World is brought to you by Natalie Deutsch of Hatch Realty. Natalie has a proven track record to get your home sold faster and for more money. She is consistently focused on her clients' needs and wants throughout the entire process and make sure that they are well taken care of. If you're looking to buy or sell, reach out to Natalie today. On average, Natalie sells a home every 3.74 days. That's at least two a week. And last year, Natalie earned her clients on average over $4,000 above list price on their homes. And you don't have to take our word for it. Here's some of the great reviews Natalie has received. I was overwhelmingly impressed with Natalie and all the Hatch team. She was very responsive and responded to all of the emails within an hour. She gave great advice and encouragement from the listing and pictures, the offer and all the closing details, the marketing team knew exactly how to promote my property and I was pleased by how soon and easily my property received an offer. I was actually dreading selling my condo and Natalie did such an awesome job that I felt like I really didn't need to do anything. The thing I most appreciated was that she really listened to what I wanted to do and respected my decisions. I would definitely recommend Natalie and all the Hatch Realty team. They made this process so wonderful. That was from Diane. So listen, if you're in the mood to buy or sell a home, give Natalie a call right now. You can reach her at 701-388-9338, Natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E, at hatchrealityfm.com, or you can go to livefargomorehead.com, that's livefargomorehead.com, and find out some information. Huge thanks to Natalie Deutsch of Hatch Realty for sponsoring JJ Meets World. One, two, three, four. J.J. Gordon, sort of like that Indiana Jones in that he's always snipping out his next adventure. Yes, he is! He's always interviewing guests so he can have them on his show and they can talk about pop culture, arts, and leisure. J.J. has his flag unfurled and he likes his french fries curled and he's fun and then he twirls as he goes to meet the world. He will march into the rain even if his ankle sprain. Take a peek inside his brain. This podcast is called J.J. Meets World. J.J., I want to start off today's episode right. So, Wait, What's in that bag? I brought something for you and I to do together. Is it mustard? No, it's not. Okay. You will find this pleasurable. Okay. I believe. I will find it pleasurable. Okay. There's a convenience that those of our generation got to try a number of years ago, and eventually it's going to be gone. We won't be able to do it anymore, and it's very pleasurable. Okay. You and I are both going to, at the same time, open some Netflix envelopes that I have got. I got three Netflixes today. These are the actual red envelopes with the Blu-ray inside of them. I actually can't remember what came in the mail today. And I thought, what better feeling 
than opening one of these bad boys and looking at the disc that's come to you. You know, it's funny you say that because one of my favorite things was opening up a new DVD, right? Like having to pull the yeah. plastic away. And then they had the tab at the top. That, that really irritating one that if you don't tear it just right, it's going to flake off. And that was one of my favorite sensations in my early 20s until I worked at a video store. And every week I'd have to open about 200 of those because even when you got the DVD yeah. from a distributor, it still came packaged like that because maybe you're selling it for retail. Right. right. Oh, well, we won't have these forever. Right. So you go ahead. Once you right, hold okay. it up to your microphone so okay. everyone can hear the, the magic. And I can't remember what I even ordered. So you're going to have to tell us what, what treats I have in store for me to go right. home and watch. Um, Tucker will be watching spider-man 2 Ooh, spider-man 2 and on blu-ray so i only have spider-man 3 on blu-ray of the toby mcguire spider-mans you own that one yeah the third one i got it for like a dollar at something i can't even remember oh that's unfortunate if it's a superhero movie i want to put it in the collection on some level may i read the synopsis why not okay Burned out from leading a double life, mild-mannered Peter Parker decides to shelve his superhero alter ego, Spider-Man. But will Peter suit up again when multi-tentacled villain Doc Ock begins terrorizing New York City? It is unrated. Can you imagine if the answer to that question was no? (laughs) Like, he just never goes back? Nope. All right, now you open yours. All right. I think there's a TV series in one of these, Mm. but I'm not... Gossip Girl, season two, disc one. I could be so lucky. This is exi- this is great. This, this is, is bringing me this great is, pleasure. This is basically our version of ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> and I will also be watching Spider-Man. That's right. Oh, the original Spider-Man. Yeah, spy, it's, a, it's a Spider-Man marathon, I guess, okay. with Tobey Maguire in store for me. This is the last one. JJ's open it now. So and there's also a Blu-ray. Ooh, this has seen better life though. Like, yeah, that, that one's away. In, in trouble. Star Trek: The Original Series, ah, season one, disc three. That's right. I forgot. I've been going through the Star Treks. I hadn't sent in discs for a while. Mm. This includes episodes such as the Carbomite Maneuver, the Menagerie <laughs> Part One, the Menagerie Part Two, and the Conscience of the King. Shatner is which first is a listed. Hamlet reference. Really? That's a Hamlet reference, the conscience of the king. Ooh. That's where he says the play's the thing, wherein I'll catch the conscience of the king. Oh. When he decides to use the dumb show play. You know, I just recently saw another Hamlet reference that I wish I had found when I was doing the show, which is a scene from the Adams family, the movie with mm-hmm. Raul Julia or and uh um Angelica Houston. Angelica Houston. We talked a lot about the Adams family on this show lately. Yeah, it's been on my mind for some weird reason. It came up around Halloween and hasn't left yet. I just um, like to snap. It's when it's there's a scene where Wednesday and Pugsley are sword fighting. Yep. And then Fester comes down to give them notes and they're quoting uh, a Shakespeare monologue. It's not something said during the fight. It's just a, a, a monologue of Shakespeare's, but they're both quoting it back to each other. And I'd never caught that before. Mm, that's exciting. This is exciting. Yeah. I also, do you ever have the pleasure of when an Amazon box arrives and you're oh. like, I don't know what's in this. Right. Right. I'll hopefully be doing that again pretty soon too. So well, I we'd start kick off this way. Speaking of Amazon, our guest today, Blaine cook is an author 
who has self-published through Amazon. He's going to give us all the details there. A very interesting conversation with someone about writing his own book, uh, being from a small town and wanting to continue that small town feel. We also talk about deer hunting, which came out of nowhere other than the fact that it's timely for us at the time of this recording. Correct me if I'm wrong. It won't be. Blaine is a fan suggested guest, isn't he? Correct. Blaine was suggested by several JJ meets world regular listeners. So we heard it. We got it. Stop giving me suggestions. Actually, no, we love suggestions. In fact, if you go to our JJ meets world Facebook page, you can direct message us. If you have an idea for a guest, including yourself, don't worry. You got to be your own best publicist, right? We are, we'll gladly take those suggestions because it's always fun. And the goal of this podcast is for me to meet every person on planet earth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So keep those suggestions rolling and enjoy this episode of JJ meets world with our new friend, Blaine cook. JJ Meets World. Hello, Blaine. Welcome to JJ Meets World. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> Blaine, so let me tell you the road that got me to inviting you onto this show. Yes. Let's... So, not only are you Brady's cousin, my yep. sister's fiance, so soon we'll be sort of related, yeah, which yeah. will be awesome. Yep. <laughs> but also, one of our number one fans told me he's like you got to talk to blaine he wrote this book i think i know who you're talking about i think you do shout out to jeff yep uh and so i said well yeah we should absolutely reach out to blaine to be on the show so welcome to jj meets world well thanks for having me i'm excited to be here this is this is new for me i've never done a podcast before so well excited we're glad that we can be your first you never forget your first right so let's talk about your book first and foremost you don't seem like a writer to me. <laughs> was that something that just popped out at you um, one day? Yeah, he, so he's I, saying you don't seem like an alcoholic. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. to him, yeah. all writers are people with alcoholism who sit and they're tortured right. and they argue all the time. Your you fingers see, don't look like they've been <laughs> tapping on a typewriter yeah. all day. You have a sunny disposition. Yeah, no, I. Uh, that's that's usually for people's first impression when they find out you know that I've done a little bit of writing. Um, I would have to say the writing goes back... Gosh, uh, since I was a young kid, I, you know, in school, I wasn't, and I don't know how many people are, but wasn't a big fan of like the book reports. I mean, it seems, you know, kind of just generic and, you know, to, you know, write a talk topic about this or that or the other thing. And really that didn't really appeal to me, but I did it, you know, like as any good student maybe would, I don't know. And it wasn't until I got into high school and I had, um, some more kind of involved classes with like, you know, English lit and um, creative writing, which was the actual class um, that I took that kind of sparked my interest in writing because it literally the basis was we're going to spend, you know, a couple weeks, you're going to, you know, we're going to try and give, you know, the teacher would give us an angle, you know, and kind of, you know, pick a topic and then you just kind of ran with it. And that was the type of stuff that I really got into um, just because you get to use your imagination. I mean, and obviously that's that's the best part about creating and, you know, whether you're a writer or musician, art, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just being able to use your own uh, maybe experiences and things to draw off of. And so I, that's kind of where I got my niche. Um, then I kind of went away from it. I've uh, been at NDSU uh, going to school, um, just graduated in 2017, um, my undergraduate, and then now I'm back in graduate school. And it wasn't until kind of the latter part of that 
um, that I thought, you know, maybe I should look back into the writing. You know, I'd been kind of thinking about it, going back and forth. And my now wife, who was my uh, girlfriend at the time, she was she was actually, I give her a lot of credit because she basically got tired of me talking about it. <laughs> She's like, look, if you're going to do this, now would be the time to do it because we don't have kids. We, you know, we, we have a dog and and uh, we're just, we're kind of just doing our own thing. And so our responsibilities are, I, I would say, low at this point. And she's like, just do it. And so I, I basically, yeah, just one evening, just pulled out my computer, kind of had an idea that was percolating for a while and just from there kind of ran with it. And So it was just a story that you had thought about for a long time and it just took sitting yeah, there and actually think, typing it out? I think actually the characters I had for a while um, I, I'm a big fan. Like if I go to a movie, I always root for kind of the underdog or the, you know, people that, that it's not like that flashy character. Um, but that character has like crazy abilities that they don't even realize, you know, like to me, that's really cool. And so I kind of had, you know, character, the main character in my story, which is heavily, um, kind of rounded from that. And then other, uh, supporting casts. And so I kind of had that for a while. And then I was just thinking, well, what kind of story could I create that embodies that type of, you know, um, vibe, I guess. Have any of your friends or loved ones said like, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm Reggie in this yeah. book. Like, <laughs> uh, there's, there's definitely some, um, I have drawn from some of my close friends and family, not, I, I try not to get too similar because um, I certainly want the the characters in my story to have their own identity and their own feel. But certainly, certain maybe traits and nuances that they do, you know, yeah, are certainly from people that I know. I wrote a play once that was strictly about a breakup I had with a girlfriend <laughs> where I didn't even bother changing the names of characters. And then I read it once on the radio. And oh, you it did? was embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> It's called, it was called In Search of Eredo, oh. which is the Greek muse of what, writing. What station? On Rock 102. <laughs> Why did, when did they go, hey, kid, you want to read this play? Uh, that you, you read a play? I, yeah, I was. An I was, entire play. Yeah, it took like four breaks to like get through it. Yeah, it was like a little 10 minute play. Yeah. Entirely about a break. break Entirely about a breakup. And the play ends with me writing the play about the play. <laughs> and so it's very meta. She name it Sonata. Yeah. <laughs> no, in search of Arado, because that's what I was searching for. My muse, and go. I don't know. Maybe in my mind, I was like, maybe if she hears this, she'll think we should get back together. That wasn't the case. They didn't know. No, no, no. So, so when when you're writing anything, I mean, anytime mm -hmm. I'm writing, even like the little summaries for these podcast episodes, mm -hmm. I always have to go. Okay, I'm going to write it once. I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to let it be bad. And I'm going to go back and go, ooh, yeah. that's really bad. Yeah. I yeah. better change that and make it good. Uh, and I've I've heard a lot of writers in interviews say similar things to their process. Yeah. So can you kind of walk us through the messy parts of your so process? I had, I had no idea what I was doing, like going into it completely <laughs> blindfolded. And, um, you know, luckily in this day and age, Google and YouTube are um, very nice things to have. And... So, I mean, the basis of it is kind of elementary. I mean, it's just like what your teachers would have told you growing up, you know, write everything out, create an outline, you know, create your, you know, kind of a, a rough chapter list and all this stuff. I really kind of skipped over that and I went right into the writing. And um, I found out pretty early on that I had to, 
I had to backtrack a little bit and just gather some of the thoughts because a lot of it, I didn't really write a ton of notes, which was when I look back on it, it was kind of surprising. I just, if an idea or something kind of generated, then I just, I went with it. And um, I would say the messy parts were, you had these kind of climactic points that you wanted to bring out in your story and getting from point A to point B that was kind of tough because you, you know, it's so easy to just, you know, make your characters do these crazy things. Well, there has to be some sort of connective of like, well, why are they doing it? And and so that's kind of where things got, I wouldn't say messy, but you definitely had to pay attention to the details because um, especially in a story where there's a lot of move. this, you know, this, I would say my story has a quite a different uh, variety of perspectives that are coming through. So to keep track of who's thinking what and doing this and that. Um, yeah, there was, there was definite days where I was like, okay, I need to write this down because, um, even as, even as if you're writing, you may have your, your thought process, but sometimes it doesn't always show through, you know, when you're actually putting words to paper. The first person who reads this, when you consider it as like, I think I'm done. Um, well, my wife, she was kind of uh, a forced beta reader, <laughs> yep, <laughs> uh, just because she was right there half the time. Um, but She's like Blaine, no, no more chapters. <laughs> yeah. I'm done. It was, no more right, chapters. it was always right before bed too. We're, we're, you started this. You told yeah, me to write. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There was a oftentimes, yeah, it was right before we're winding down or something. I'm like, hey, would you mind reading these 15 pages that I have? And she was a sport about it. Um, but I would say, um. I had some close friends read through it, uh, people that I trust, you know, and, and that's the thing too, is you want to have, uh, I guess I've heard it from different angles, you know, some people are like, you got to have somebody that doesn't know you at all, read it and tell you what you think of it. I kind of went down that road, uh, which was great because I got good feedback. Then I also had a close knit group of people that I felt, you know, would give me the honest feedback because I know who I am, you know, behind the writing and everything. And so they can, I would say, maybe be a little bit more brutal in their assessment. So um, I can't point to one person in in um, thinking about it, but yeah, there was there was definitely a group of people there. I think criticism is one of the hardest things that for a person to accept, but mm -hmm. at the same time, it's something that we crave. Yeah. Right. I assume you you wrote this thing and you're like, I know that it probably needs work, but d you know, you tell me because I at this point all of the letters are jumbling together. Yeah, and that's the thing too. When you read your own words a thousand times over and over, you begin to convince yourself that it's good enough, or you know, it's yeah, it'll work, you know, or whatever. And that's not the case. You know, you have to have fresh eyes on it, and um, the I. I appreciate criticism. You know, I've always, regardless if it's writing or anything, I appreciate people that can tell you if your work isn't maybe as good as it could be, you know, and um, I've always been kind of motivated behind, you know, okay, I can I can do something better. I can improve this. And so um, the feedback actually, or the criticism wasn't hard to listen to. I almost appreciated to hear it because then I was like, okay, I'm at least, you know, I'm, I'm getting people to think about it. You know, it's not bland or generic i guess so when i'm writing something i find that i take for granted the fact that i see everything in my head like it's all there already and i already intimately know what i'm writing about but when somebody else reads it and they go i don't understand this this is you know this is 
this doesn't like this middle part here. I, you know, is is she in love with him or is she in love with a fire hydrant? Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I don't. <laughs> so you, so you got some of that feedback where there was, was a lot of that. Yeah, and and that's so the this is a mystery based novel, um, but it was actually supposed to be a romantic novel. It, it's supposed to have kind of a a smooching. Uh, huh? Yeah, a little. Nice. It's, a, it's a hard left turn. I'm not, turn. A, I'm not a, a I, I'm not a guy that goes to like the the very romantic chick flicky movies on my own. Uh, that's definitely with my wife or, you know, who, you know, like we're going to this. So, so I'm there. All but, right. Here we go. Reese, Reese yeah, Witherspoon. Yeah, yeah. No, no, you mean Dupree for you. Yeah. yeah well, and, <laughs> and so this was supposed to be, yeah, have this romantic angle and uh, it didn't at all. And so. Um, was that something that, the, that you were surprised by, like as it was unfolding, as it was sort of, as you were writing it, you, you realized, oh, this is becoming something else than what I had initially. Yeah. yeah. And it, I didn't really realize until mm, probably three or four chapters in because I was, I was writing these different situations that like if, and I write as if it's a movie. So I see in my mind, I see different scenes and that's kind of how I put um, the words down. And so there was a lot of scenes, I guess you could say, where I'm like this would be a great opportunity for something, you know, kind of mysterious to happen, or or that, you know, what's there's something else going on here. And so, yeah, quickly, romantic, you know, just out the window. And I was like, and I, you know, uh, part of me was like, should I scrap it? Should I, you know, should I know? I should I stick to what I? And I said, no, just keep rolling with it. You've you've gotten this far. Just see where it takes you. So. Yeah, there was a definite like, yeah, this isn't this isn't exactly what I thought it would be, but it's maybe even better than what I had planned. So, well, the book is called The Nearby Resident. Yep. Yep. Could you give us a brief synopsis without giving away any of the mystery? Um, so it takes place in a uh, fictitious um, town of Carlisle, Minnesota. I don't actually know if that's a town that exists in Minnesota, but I I just I'm like Carlisle. That seems like a place that stuff could happen you know <laughs> like and so I, I created the town um i, I chose minnesota because i've always been a fan of um some of the kind of best like stories that i've ever read take place in minnesota like in the woods or something so uh, and i'm a big mystery guy so i'm like yeah this kind of fits what i've what i've read before um so it takes place in a small rural town um similar to what i grew up in uh, i would say less than a thousand people. So kind of a everybody knows everybody type town. And these um, two main characters um, are there on the back end of their high school career. And so they're kind of just, they're kind of nobodies, I would say. So kind of going back to that whole idea of like, yeah, they aren't flashy, you know, popular, whatever you want to call them people, just every run of the day mill. Um, and they get, they get assigned this this project in school where they've got to go out into the community, get to know somebody that they're maybe not familiar with, somebody with an, you know, in a business setting or whatever, and just talk to them, get to know them, get to, you know, get a background on them. And then they'll go back and write this paper report or whatever. And what happens is the the main character, um, he inadvertently um is he's walking out his house one like on the first day of school and he hears this weird noise and he realizes it's coming from his next door's neighbor's yard and he's like this is kind of weird 
And so he, you know, goes and investigates and all of a sudden realizes that his neighbor's having what he thinks is a heart attack or something. And so he calls the, you know, the paramedics and, and through that little scenario sets off this kind of, uh, I wouldn't say it's like a different friendship because he didn't really pay attention to this guy. It's one of those people that, you know, if you live on a block of people, you're like, I know who he is, but I don't, I've never really talked to him type thing. And through that, they kind of form this friendship and bond. And this kid starts to learn just this crazy, you know, kind of background story of this guy and that you know, he's done some things in his life. He's had, you know, heartbreak and tragedy strike is, you know, and, uh, and it turns into this huge mystery because all of a sudden there's a murder that happens in town and through different pieces of evidence and he's somewhat connected, but not, not entirely, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's like I said, there's a lot going on. Um, but basically two kids, uh, try and solve this, this mystery. So was it fun to write about kids? Because I think a kid's perspective is so unique, right? Because things become so much more grand in the eyes of a child. And of course, imagination gets away with you. Yeah, it's, I felt it was pretty easy to, because these are high schoolers. So it's, you know, I guess not being that far removed from being in that type of uh, uh, age group. Um, it wasn't too difficult to relate back to that. Um, you definitely have to, like, even though I'm 25, the experiences that I had as a kid are different than what kids have now, you know? So even just by a few years, things are different. And so I tried to keep more of a vintage feel. Um, there's not a lot of talk of, like, you know, like iPhones or, you know, that. There's not a chapter called the Snapchat. Yeah, there's no. There, it's pretty. It's pretty rudimentary in terms of that that day and age when things were still pretty simple. Um, you had to pick up the phone and call someone. You know, like so. I I tried to keep more of a of a yeah, like a vintage feel to it because I, I I think those are much simpler days. <laughs> and it's fun that it's set in Minnesota. You know, one of my favorite authors is Stanley Gordon West. Mm. Have you ever read any of his books? I've heard of them. I haven't. Oh man. Amazing. Like, yeah. I remember having to things. read until they bring the streetcars back. No. Actually. I think it was required reading in high school. I, I, it was not on, I don't think it was on my curricula. Oh, yeah. So they brought Stanley Gordon West to South High every single year because he just lived in St. Paul and he's getting to be an older guy. <clears throat> but all the English teachers are excited because they take him out to lunch and then they get to you know, hang out with this author. But it's this guy who wrote about his experiences like back in the like forties and like the fifties, and he's got until they bring the streetcars back, which is an excellent book. And talk it's got kind of that mystery feel mm-hmm. to it too. Finding Laura Bugs is another one, and I can't remember the last, but I've got a couple of books that he he signed when he was in Fargo. Mm-hmm. And he just it's it's neat because I think people wanna know about life in our part of the country yeah for sure right? there's a reason why we watch the real housewives of <laughs> beverly hills because we want to know what it's like to be super rich in beverly hills yeah but people also want to know like okay well what's life like in the quote-unquote heartland right yeah and and that was and that really wasn't uh in terms of setting i always wanted to be a rural community because i think um you know like you said it's people don't really know a, a whole lot of like what goes on you know, unless you grew up in the area or you're just, 
you're from that particular region. I go to other places and people are like, so what do you guys do? You know, like, what's it like up there? It's, it's, I'm like, well, it's pretty just day to day, simple. Well, <laughs> and you know, it's so like at the time of this recording, it's opening deer hunting mm-hmm. season. And I was chatting with a friend of mine from Chicago and he's like, what are you doing this weekend? I'm like, oh, I'm doing this and I'm emceeing a deer widow event. And I go, a what? It was like a deer widow event. And he's like, I have no idea what that means. I'm like, oh, during hunting season, like all these guys and now a lot of women too. There's a lot of female hunters, but towns can kind of clear out. Oh, yeah. And only the people who don't hunt are left. And so they have these big parties. (laughs) To say like, hey, we're gonna have a good time too, <laughs> and it doesn't involve me gutting a deer. I was, I was on the, I was on that side of it. The I had, on average, throughout school, I had seventeen people in my class. Graduated with nineteen, but fluctuated from year to year. And when deer season came around, I think me and one other student were the only students in our class. Yeah, and then collectively, maybe in the high school, maybe. 15 kids, 20 kids total. I bet you had some teachers who were gone too. Oh yeah, teachers are gone. I, I would have think that would that'd be awesome. It was awesome. I like, bet all the kids it, that were picking on me when I was in elementary school would have gone deer hunting yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And I, you know, like, I, I don't, I, my dad, he hunted like way back when, but when I was growing up, I just, it wasn't something I like maybe gravitated towards. So I just didn't deer hunt and, uh, um, but uh, yeah, 90% of my friends were gone. And the school was a ghost town. And it was awesome because we, for one, didn't do anything. <laughs> you just kind of hung out, went to your classes. And pretty much you just sat there and, you know, you could bring like a, your laptop or something, watch a movie. And and so the students that were gone would come back that next week and be like, oh, it must have really, you know, sucked that you had to be here. Like, Actually, it wasn't that bad. Like, <laughs> just hung out. You know, but now I don't think. Do they have school on opener? I I feel like they've changed that now. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't. No, I mean yesterday was. I don't think a lot of kids go to school on Monday because it's Veterans Day. Yeah, I think they changed it. Yeah, to move around because the teachers that were having to stay and do they that maybe they weren't hunters, but they were like, so I had you know I'm here, but I've only got maybe ten students all day through five different classes. You know, like is it really worth? Making everybody come in. I think they changed it now. I feel like you don't. That's have. smart. I mean, why wouldn't you, right? Yeah, I mean, especially up here, it is like it is a holiday. It's a, a full blown holiday. And well, and our economy is so based around it in some places too. Like yeah, like what, what's the name of the town you're from? Mohal, which Mohal. is it's north of Minot, about thirty five miles, and roughly about sixteen miles from the Canadian border. Oh, so well, we're up there. A Ah, uh, that's all the Canadian I think I, was, I could throw out That there. was a half-hearted Canadian <laughs> either. Uh, I was going to say g'day, but that's Australian. <laughs> um, okay, so especially in a community like that, I bet you that there are people who travel from all over the country into a place like Mohal who yeah. uh, are renting somebody's cabin or somewhere, or you know, yep. it's, it's probably not unheard of to see license plates from New York and California. And Yeah, you know, I think... Uh, yeah, you get a lot of a lot of people from out of state for sure. Um, I think you even get people that are just from different parts of the state because they're like, "Well, I've never hunted up here. You know, I I, I want to check it out." And really, to me, it's like, "Well, I can't imagine there's too much difference between where I'm from and like you know if you go maybe south of Bismarck or something." But there, you know, to the to the everyday hunter, I'm sure there's uh, a reason to come up and 
check it out, I guess. I uh, knew a girl who was dating a guy who owned a huge ranch kind of up near that area. And what he wanted to do was get a license to breed certain animals so that he could open up a hunt for those animals in that area. So like he wanted to be able to breed some like bighorn sheep and then you could apply for a bighorn sheep license and you know that there are some in like on his property somewhere. And I mean, it was a huge ranch. And so I'm sure there were fences on the outside of it, um, but it's not like what I consider some of those things that are really just yeah. sleazy the way that they do. Like, <laughs> oh, it's a one city block and there's five deer in here. You know, you're going to get it. Enjoy. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but that was his dream was to open up and like, just get odd animals that people normally couldn't hunt. Sure. And you'd know you'd have a better chance than this guy was, this guy was ahead of his time, really ahead of his time. <laughs> and I think it worked out pretty well for him yeah. too. Hmm. Um, the only downside is like, okay, so you're going to breed these animals. You're gonna have to go somewhere and like, Find a male and a female, yeah. bring them back to your There's ranch. There's a lot of, lot of moving parts to that. A lot I of think. animal husbandry has yeah. to go into all that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. You got to be good at it. Yeah. What's, uh, I'm always interested in, in hearing about uh, people's uh, reading habits. Mm-hmm. What are your reading habits? What are you reading right now? Ooh. Um, I am reading, well, I'm reading a lot of textbooks because I'm in, sure. <laughs> in, in graduate school, so there's a lot of that going on. Um, but as far as leisure reading, mm, gosh, it sounds bad because I'm doing this, but I I haven't writ or read anything recently. Um, oh, I did. I think it was uh, the shoe dog. I think it was the guy that started Nike. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that the name of the book? Um, I think you're right. Shoe dog, yeah, 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 or something. Read that, and that was fascinating to me. Um, the story, you know, the guy that created Nike, basically out of the trunk of his car, because um, in the story he he was a track star um, at Oregon, and he wanted to figure out a, a a way to develop shoes that were more comfortable to the athlete for you know running long distances and whatnot. These flip flops are horrible. Yeah, and basically he convinced his I think he convinced his dad to write him a check, um, which then was an investment to this company overseas that manufactured these shoes. They sent him a shipment in just a box and was like, if you can sell these and get people to believe in them, we'll continue to send you shipments and you'll and uh yeah, kind of from the ground up. That's how Nike's wow. kind of started. Which I love those stories. Like the whole like start, you know, like Apple starting in a garage. Like, I mean, that gives people belief. Like, you know, like you should. There, uh, there's a beer company called Dogfish Head, Dogfish which is Head. like it's out of Milton, Delaware. But the guy who started Dogfish Head has an amazing story of he his parents put him through college and he like his senior year started brewing beer in his apartment just for fun and so he graduates with his english degree and they're like what are you going to do are you going to teach and he's like oh, i'm going to be honest i'm going to i kind of like this brewing beer thing it seems to be a lot of fun and it went from him just making beer for fun into what is one of the most well respected breweries in america especially when it comes to craft brewery and then 
he was so innovative. He figured out a way to do this like constant hopping method, oh. like using one of those little foot, those vibrating football machines, and putting a five gallon bucket on top of it, putting it at a slight angle, and then put putting holes in of the course. bucket so that the hops would shake around and like uh. one would come out like every like twenty seconds into the boiling vat. Because why wouldn't you just have it at an angle? You know, like that's isn't that everyday? Not you know, <laughs> right, common yeah, knowledge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you sitting there looking at it and be like, huh? What? Wait, hold on. No, it's, um, that's that's the stuff I like to hear because it's just like people that you know they have like this. Wouldn't say uh, the people that I've talked to that have turned something into nothing or that was nothing into something. I should say they're kind of like kind of happened by accident. You know, like you you maybe had this like one goal or you know. At, whatever aspiration and all of a sudden it turned into this you know and i'm like that's to me is fascinating because it's like what are the chances you know really do you find yourself reading more like non-fiction than fiction yeah i would say so um i'm a big kind of history buff guy so i'm I'm always reading um anything kind of like any on the like battles that took place or like if, if i go into barnes and noble that's the first section I go to is like the history and war and what um, eras, any, any particular era that you would say you find yourself more fascinated with than others? Mm, not really eras, but like events. Mm. So like I got really into the, I shouldn't say into, cause that makes it sound kind of weird, but like in the JFK uh. assassin, like that to me was like fast. I've watched like every documentary on TV about it and, I've read, read that a Stephen King book about it. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was a good one. Yeah, it was. I, yeah. And so the, yeah, books and just um, anything that for a while there, I was like, just fat, you know, over, just I couldn't get enough of it. And um, so stuff like that, I, I really got into. Um, Any chance we're going to see the main characters from your book travel back in time and solve the JFK assassination? <laughs> they should. That should be a. <laughs> That that would be a good one. Um, no, unfortunately, there's no time travel in in, in what I have planned. I Spoiler guess. Spoiler alert, man! Yeah, Come yeah. on, <laughs> I haven't read the book yet. So, um, so uh, your website is it Blaine's Library? Uh, Blaine's Bookshelf. Bookshelf. So Blaine's Bookshelf. I created that to kind of separate my like my personal life, um, and my 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 writing life because um, in social media nowadays, I feel like things can get oversaturated and you're, you know, when you're doing the writing thing, there's a certain audience that you're trying to attract or talk to. Um, but like my mom's third cousin, you know, she, she might be interested in it, but more so just like what's going on in my life, you know, that type of thing. So I created Blaine's bookshelf to kind of give myself a separate identity, um, from everything else. And if you go on there, um, I talk a little bit about what I have now, the nearby resident, and then I've got some other projects that I'm working on that are up um, that you can kind of read a little background on. Um, and then like a mission statement and stuff like that. So, cause the whole idea behind the writing too is um, I always try and give back in some sort of way. So um, a percentage of the proceeds that I gained from the, the nearby resident went to the American cancer society. So I try and do things that, um, are near and dear to my heart, but I think to other people. Um, so like, you know, we, my grandma battled breast cancer for 
several years. And so after she passed, I always felt like there was an obligation to ensure that there was, this was still being paid attention to. And, you know, obviously, um, you know, the, the American Cancer Society is a great, great organization for that stuff. So everything that I do, I try and give back in some way so that I feel like I'm not just selfishly doing it for my own vanity, you know? So good for you. Yeah. I'm it, doing this podcast solely for my vanity. <laughs> like that's why it's called JJ meets world. No, and, <laughs> JJ and Tucker produce a podcast. It kind of, you know, and it kind of motivates me because in order to do some of that stuff, you've got to, you've got to keep working at it. Um, so the nearby resident has been out for a year and a half now going on two years, might be two years now. Um, and the there is a part two. I, I, I'm not going to give away too many things, but there is a part two to this, which will hopefully be out sometime next late spring, early summer. Um, there's a lot going on outside of writing right now. So I've got to, I've got to find time to be able to manage all of that. And so, um, yeah, how do you find time right now? Like, like I don't, I don't have like right <laughs> now, uh, for my work, I spend a lot of time at a computer. And then when I come home, I spend a lot of time at a computer for school. So honestly, I'm kind of maxed out by the end of the day. Uh, but that's the nice thing about having kind of this, uh, the writing power, I guess you could say. I So I self-published for right. those who don't know. Um, so I did the editing, the writing. Um, I had a little bit of help with the formatting and like the, the cover and stuff because that was a little bit outside of my wheelhouse. But most of it, about 95, 98% of it was all me. And that took a lot of time. And when I started writing, I was I was in school, but I wasn't working. Mm. So between class and just whatever, I had a little bit of time. So I was able to, you know, write throughout the week and get stuff done. Since then, that was two years ago now, working full-time, full-time student. So there's just, you know, between a Monday to Friday, there's not a lot of daylight, not yeah. enough daylight, I should say. So, um but I, I haven't put any pressure on myself to be like, oh, you got to get, you got to get the next one out. You know, it's. Um, Did you ever have moments where you're like, I need to sit down and write for three hours today. I need to sit down and get that done. So you like, that's one thing that you research about or like you, when you look into like, well, how do you write a book? And everybody talks about the word count, you know, like your daily word count. And I think at first I was kind of enamored by that, you know, like, okay, if I, if I write this many words, you know, whatever, I should have this much by this time. You know, you didn't try and set too many hard deadlines because then you're really putting yourself under the gun. But I quickly found out that that's not the best way that I write by knowing that I have to reach a certain point or a certain uh, word count. So I just wrote. And then when the ideas kind of just fizzled out, I just stopped. And most times I would pick up the next day and start, you know, with a new, uh, fresh thought process, but really it was just, it, it was really day to day. So some days, I mean, I cranked out, you know, maybe 25 to 30 pages. Mm -hmm. And then other days I got barely through two, you know, cause you're just like, <laughs> you start staring at your computer screen and you're like, I don't have anything. I don't have anything good. And I would, I would say to end this book, I, I was at a crossroads because I, I knew how I wanted the this 
the characters to kind of walk off into the sunset, you know, but I didn't know how to get them to that point. Mm. And for about a week and a half, I just, I struggled. I couldn't, you know, I was, I'd look at the, look at what I had. I'd ask Lake and my wife, I'd be like, well, what do you think they should do? You know, she'd be like, I don't know. Like, what, what do you have? What do you have? Uh, what do you envision? And as they all, I feel like this is, there has to be some science behind this because I feel like idea came to me in the shower. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? That's where my best ideas come. Right? I, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a fluke. I feel like the best ideas come, come I, in the shower. I have a theory about that, actually. And here's what it is. There are zero distractions in the shower. Yeah. You can only be concentrating on yourself in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. So... Even if the phone goes off, you know I'm not going to hop out of the shower and answer that phone. I got shampoo in my hair. And so your brain has this moment where it goes, I know that I can completely take over right now. Like, we're good to go. So unless you're avid about, like, checking yourself for moles or something like that, (laughs) I think the shower is the one place. Because even the toilet is no longer a spot where you are, you know, people bring their phone into the john all the time. Yeah. But the shower, until we figure out the waterproof phone, which I hope we never do, the shower is your spot where it's yeah, it's peace, it's ultimate peace. I yeah, I firmly believe that some of the best ideas that man has ever thought of have come from bathing or their shower or yep. something. Because like it, it hit me like I was just like sitting there, and all of a sudden, I'm like that's it. And instead of going to actually finish the book, as I had, I thought it you know maybe 15 pages left that I needed to you know, write. I, I didn't write for two weeks. Mm. I just, I knew how I wanted it to end and it was so gratifying that I had, you know, it's like when you reach the top of the mountain, you're like, yes. And I, I just, I didn't write for two weeks and then, you know, picked up, uh, opened up my document or whatever and finished it in probably about an hour. So, nice. uh, people are like, why did you wait two weeks? Cause I'm like, I was so happy to get to that point that I'm like, there's no need to rush it now. You know, like I've got it, you know, I'll sit on it, make little tweaks here and there. And then when I go in and finally finish it, it'll be, it'll be good. But then that was the beginning to the end of my sanity. Cause then the editing came up after that. That gotcha. was, yeah. So then, you know, that's if people like, read through and said like, Hey, I found a couple spelling errors. Yeah. Yeah. They're, <laughs> <laughs> what about the jerks? Yeah, I know. Uh, I, I don't think since the final draft I've heard anything, um, the, to my knowledge, um, because that's the hard part with self-publishing. I don't have the luxury of having somebody, you know, I don't get to throw a manuscript at someone and be like, here, you know, figure right. out, There's no team correct for my you. mistakes. Yeah, no. So, and that's the thing too, when you read your own stuff for so long, you are just, you skip over things, you know, you, you're, the way that you maybe pause in a sentence is not the same way someone else does. And, and so that was certainly, the editing was, I tell anybody that wants to write or do their own form of of creative writing is prepare yourself for the editing part and and maybe assemble a small group of people to help you. Um, now that I know what it takes, I would definitely, you know, I think in my in my next projects, I'll have a small group of people that will just... All they have to do is just look for stuff, you know, and I'll go back and make the changes myself. But um, you start to you start to do that type of stuff, that type of work, and you have to do it for months. You know, it took me to write 
from just the first draft took me seven months, seven, eight months, which I think was fast um, just to get a draft out. But then the editing took me almost a year. Ooh. Yeah, because it just, there's so much that you have to pay attention. And so with the self-publishing, uh, I went through Amazon. So Amazon is, if they haven't already taken over the world, they, they they're soon, on their way. Yeah, they're very on their way. Pretty close. And uh, This Amazon coffee I'm drinking on this Amazon podcast is yeah. delicious <laughs> with my Amazon friend, JJ. Every piece of our equipment for this podcast came from Amazon. You did. Yeah. That is correct. Including the table. It, so, yeah, there you go. So Amazon has a great self-publishing um, kind of entity that they, for, for creative writers and content people. Um, so from a, from a like financial standpoint, it was a no brainer because there's really no cost to use them. Oh, so you uh, didn't have to order like 500 books. No. So the nice thing was that, or the, the thing that really drew me to Amazon was they do um, direct to print. So, you know, if, if you were to buy a copy online, they print it in their in their um, warehouse or wherever, and then they ship it directly to you. So as an author, you don't have to have, like you said, you know, a trunk full of books that you're trying to sell mm-hmm. off the street. Um, well, it used to be in, in, and maybe this still is for the retailers, I don't know, um, but uh, at like Barnes & Noble, if like the latest Harry Potter came out, a bad example, latest whatever came out that was only going to sell like a third of the stock of books, mm-hmm. like the send a bunch of books to Barnes and Noble and then Barnes and Noble is going to send back all the ones that didn't sell. Yeah. So the publisher takes a big risk when they print books because they're printing them en masse. Yeah. And a lot of those just aren't going to get sold for most books. It's rare that something is a Harry Potter and you can reprint it a million times and you know you're going to be fine. Have you ever seen what happens yeah. to unsold books? They they rip the covers off. Yeah, and then they they're called it's called pulping. Yeah. They essentially throw yeah. them into a giant vat and just Quite mush graphic. them down. Yeah, it really <laughs> yeah. is. Uh and then, you know, watching these p- people who've poured, you know, chunks of their lives into these <laughs> books and watching it get pulped and being like, "Well, we'll turn it into other pages of something else. <laughs> Hopefully that book will sell." Yeah. Yeah, no, and I I was able to get copies of you know if I if I wanted to have copies on on hand that I've um, kind of distributed as personal tokens I guess um, but for the most part I've the people that I know that have gotten it have gotten it online which <clears throat> it was really cool because I asked them like how did, what was the process like is it like buying anything you know two days uh, I know this has Prime so if you get if really? you decide to order it. And there's a and there's a Kindle version too, so you could you could get it within seconds. Is it if, part of Kindle Unlimited, or do you charge people for it? It's it's part of Kindle Unlimited. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So okay, so how do you make money off of this thing? So does Amazon write you a check once a month, or um, so it? Do they give it to you in credit, knowing that you're going to use it right <laughs> yeah. back on their website? Yeah. No, they they should almost that probably. Um, no, so it's really simple. Um, there, the author gets just a, a percentage, uh, mm-hmm. a royalty percentage, and then the rest goes to Amazon. But it's pretty favorable in the offers, right? Especially because you don't have to put any cash yeah. down yeah. for it on that. So like. it was, it was kind of a no brainer for because I had looked at other like companies that do self publishing, and and not that I needed the biggest cut, but I wanted to feel like if I was doing it, I wasn't gonna get axed, you know, from from a you know when you especially when you're doing it on your own and you feel like 
I want this to be like, okay, you know, like I, uh, it was worth my time. And so, yeah, I looked at other places, but Amazon was kind of a no brainer. And cause everybody, for one, everybody uses Amazon for mm-hmm. the most part. You'll have a few individuals out there. They're like, nope, don't use Amazon. I, you know, I'm like, wow, good for you. You know, like it's almost impressive when you find that, but for the most part, I shop only at uh, local stores. That's why none of my clothes fit just yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I was like, I feel like most people use Amazon. So it was uh, from a dis- distribution perspective, it was kind of a no-brainer from that. But um, at, at some point, you're going to be able to be like, Alexa, transcribe, and then you're just going to yeah. start talking, mm-hmm. and that's going to be how people write books. Do they give you an option where if you wanted to buy a hundred copies, you could get them at a, like a discounted price? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so I did a, I did a book signing in my hometown and that's how I was able to get. Hopefully not dur- during deer hunting week. No, no. Okay, good. Good move. <laughs> it was, it was actually like the week before school let out. So I'm sure everybody was anxious to get did to the lake. Did you come talk to like the English class and be like, hello everyone, I'm Blaine Cook <laughs> and I went to this school as well. <laughs> yeah. I, I spoke to I spoke to a group of elementary students um, and that's the thing too. Is that your target audience for the nearby yeah. resident? <laughs> yeah, definitely young children. Um, the, There's no pictures or nothing in the yeah, book. Yeah, what the heck? I had some great questions from that. That was, that was comical to some degree. Really? Uh, yeah, one of the que- a girl asked me well, first she just asked me, she's like, are you famous? And I was like, <laughs> well, uh, it depends on who you ask. Um, but, uh, you know, so like questions like, you know, these, they're, they're young kids, so their minds are in different different areas. But yeah, she just was like straight up, like she didn't even hesitate. Like there was no expression on her face. She's like, are you famous? And I was just like, so taken back. I was like, um, well, <laughs> you know, I like stumbled with the question, but um, I had one one kid. By the way, ask, the answer is always yes. If someone <laughs> asks you if you're famous, you always say yes because then lunch is free. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I've I've learned that over the years. I I don't remember what I even said. I probably was like, you know, maybe when one an ancient day, like, being asks you if you're a god, god yeah. you say yes. <laughs> I know. I should, you know, now that I know. Mm-hmm. Um, another question I had was if it was going to be a movie, which I mm-hmm. thought was, I was like, you know, that would be really cool. Like if. So I could I was, definitely see this be a movie. I was going to ask, is there a part like, so you own this solely, right? Amazon mm-hmm. doesn't get any like They get ownership? the rights to the distribution because okay. they're, they're the one that make it something. So if this, but, so if, so if you, if this was optioned for a movie or, you know, it really, if it started to take off like a 50 shades of gray mm-hmm. or something like that, Amazon would just get the distribution rights from that. From what I understand, yes. Um, if I if I ever got into a room where that was like a, a conversation where like, this could actually happen, it's one of those good problems. I will have a lawyer. Be like, I'm very a famous little girl. <laughs> yeah. I'll have a I'll have people that will I'll turn to and be like, uh, like is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from um, from that standpoint, yeah, I I own the rights to the manuscript and the content in it, um, but Amazon is the umbrella that, you know, says like, this is where it comes from. Have you sent a copy of this to the CEO of Netflix yet? No, you should, but shout out. I did send one to, um, Steve Shield. Yeah. Mm. Sent one to him. Cause I, I used to work at Shields, uh, in their, an employee in their business, men, uh, in their men's department. You know what up, men's department over? Were at you, were you ever in meetings with Steve Shield? No, I'd always heard, 
as sort of like a local legend and it must be true. <laughs> yeah, I believe it is. I know at exactly the one that hour mark. He gets up and leaves and it's like, I wouldn't I, doubt it. you've got an hour of my time. I told you, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what's being spoken about. If it's an hour, he's out. I believe it. I feel like I, I want to get to that I point in my life from, from personal. Cause I no, I was never in a meeting with him, but I could see it. I want to get Definitely. to that point in my life. Where just it's, like, where it's like, listen, you've got, but it wouldn't be an hour. It'd be like, you got me for five minutes. See, I, <laughs> I would say I would try and do that, but then I'd be like, I'm too much of a pushover. So right. I'd I feel look at big. my watch and be like, this is where I'm supposed to storm mm-hmm. out. And Unless it's too scene, interesting. But, if it's like, oh, this is way too interesting. Yeah. And it's gone past an hour. Now I have to leave to keep up the mystique right. Of, right. Of, of me, Blaine Cook, leaving <laughs> every 30 minutes because yeah. I got something else going on. Cue music. <laughs> also, maybe he's just got IBS. That's and he's true. like, he's like, this is the maximum amount of time I can safely <laughs> be away from a restroom. That's, that's true. That's um, true. So, are there sort of? Uh, do you have like a Mount Rushmore of authors of your personal taste? The the hmm. the authors that you return to, or maybe have made an impression on your life as you've been reading. Is that? Oh gosh, that's a good question. Um, Fine. All my questions have been garbage. <laughs> um, well, we can't all ask if he's famous, yeah. JJ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, you know, even if it's just one or two, I would say. Well, I so I mean, it seems kind of cliche, but Harry Potter. Yeah, J.K. Rowling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Have you ever heard her personal story too? Like, talk about an, an underdog story. That's, that's true. That's, that's just like the Apple story you were saying. That's why. I kind of, I would say a, a, a small percentage of me why I wanted to do the writing because of her story, which was incredible. I mean, practically on the brink of just total, you know, she was. They, they were homeless. Yeah. Living off of food stamps, I think mm-hmm. at some point, And she sat in that unemployed. little cafe and just wrote and wrote and wrote. Yeah. And she got rejected a ton of times by people that with was, Harry Potter. That was the thing too, that kind of inspired me was knowing that like, you're not going to be able to appeal to everyone's you know um what they're looking for in a in a novel but you're gonna find that the the right group of people will eventually grab you know kind of lock on and gravitate and her story was i was super fascinated about because yeah like the idea of harry potter was she was on a train wasn't she Mm -hmm. uh commuting or something and like just came to her and she wrote it down on a napkin you know boy wizard you know, be something, something Harry Potter, you know, like mm, it was parents dead, Harry Potter done. Yeah. Voldemort. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Owl. Yeah. So <laughs> question mark, it was probably owl question mark. Yeah. Yeah. Owl question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, be like, mm, uh, Joanne, can we really do, are the owls important? And she's like, they are. Yeah. yeah. I was writing this on a napkin and an owl tried to steal the napkin. So, it was a sign. So, okay. So, so I've always so, wanted to get someone on here at some point who is a professional like editor. Mm-hmm. Like that's what they do. Yep. Authors give them their stuff. They edit it. I'm so fascinated by what is involved with that because I, I have to assume some editors are going to be like, I want you to rewrite this entire thing and here's how you're going to word it. Yeah. Right. And others are, are just going, this doesn't make sense. Can you clarify this? Blah, blah, blah. Now I know you did your own editing, mm-hmm. but you know, in that process, what kind of approach do you take with yourself? 
I mean, are you basically writing something, taking some time, looking at it, and giving yourself notes as though you're looking yeah. at it with so fresh eyes? The best criticism that I probably have received as a writer came from my um, high school professor, Mrs. Peterson was her name. Shout out to Miss P. And she told me, she said, "You've you're you're good. You've, you're good at this. You you know you can understand how a story develops and what you know." But she said, "Your one issue that you maybe have is that you write the way that you talk. So there's a big difference between you know just writing and then writing." The way, like, you know, if, if people were to read something from, you know, if JJ wrote something, you could hear JJ's voice come through. Mm-hmm. Um, but that not all the time is the best way to get a story, you know, because you've got to be more kind of structured, mm-hmm. you know, so you're not deviating too far away from, um, because you could say something makes total sense. I could say it out loud, makes total sense, but on paper, mm. it may not come off in the same way. So that was... From a from an editing standpoint, I had to really go back and ch- you know just move one word, you know maybe that was a little bit further down in the sentence and just move it up, and it made a total difference in the way that I was trying to you know relay that message. And that was yeah, that was definitely um, something I had to pay attention to because I do I definitely when she said that I was like yeah you're definitely right I do write the way that I talk, you know, and, and whatnot. And so difficult to balance dialogue versus description, because sometimes I'm trying to write like a scene between two people. It's all like dialogue. And I'm like trying to convey everything through dialogue. I'm like, that's not interesting. This isn't a movie script. This is, you know, a story. This has a fair amount of dialogue in it because it's, it's the two characters are best friends. And, um, the one friend of the main character, he's kind of a, a, a like a wild card, you know. He's got a he's got kind of a weird, not a weird sense of humor, but he's got a different sense of humor. He's kind of that friend that you're constantly having to bail out of situations because he either runs his mouth too far, you know, like things like that. So there's a lot of that dialogue going on, and like you said, you know, you have to be careful between just going too much on that. And not enough on the description, so that was yeah, that was another thing I had to pay attention to because I wanted there to be dialogue. It couldn't just be a story of, you know, he then went this way and right. then there was yeah. a long hallway, and at the end of the hallway was an urn. Yeah, were there ashes in the urn? <laughs> he had to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's this constant balance, and then you know, back to your question. Um, so as a self-publisher, that was one thing between self-publishing and trying to find somebody to do it for you was as soon as you sign away your right on that manuscript, that publisher has the authority to basically tell you to do anything. You know, if you want it to get out to market and they say, well, I don't like, I don't like this. You got to ax this whole thing or you've got to change the title. You've got to do this. It just didn't really feel like that was for me right now. Mm. I would never like turn away a big time publisher that was like, Hey, you know, we'll do this and we'll get it out to, you know, bookstores all over the country. Yeah. That'd be a great, amazing opportunity. I would never shy away from that. But right now I felt like I want it to be uniquely mine, you know, Mm -hmm. like this is what I created and 
Um, you hope that like if a publisher did come down the road that you built yourself enough notoriety that they would say, we feel like you're work pretty comfortable in what you, you know, do. So we're going to let you still have that. Creative. It's hard to imagine someone pulling rank on like Stephen King. Yeah. Who's right? like, listen, I'll have another book in about a month. So <laughs> yeah. get ready for it. And I'm not going to give you time to edit it. Yeah. You're just going to have to put it out. Right. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I feel like once you've kind of, uh, you've made your uh, your stay within the writing community, I think I'm sure publishers are more apt to be like, you know what? You've sold a lot of books. <laughs> you mm-hmm. you know, Stephen, you probably know what you're doing. So <laughs> if you want to, you know, title it this, then... Well, and even some of the books that have been changed just because what's hot right now, right? Right. So they don't think about what's good for the longevity of this book. It's, oh, you know what? Nannies are really hot right now. So you need to include a character in this book. It's like that movie studio nanny. mentality. It really is. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of cases. But again, like you said, they're taking a huge risk on publishing some of these books. And so right. like, if your so, initial yeah, publication totally is 10,000 copies. Yeah, I totally get it from their perspective. Because, yeah, it's 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 their name. It's their um, reputation. So if, if they don't feel like it's going to, you know, uh, get enough people's interest, then yeah, right. it's it's a huge risk. I think so. you can also make the argument though that if you are risk averse, get out of like the movie publishing, <laughs> yeah. book publishing business. Like, what are you doing there? Right. You know, I mean, regardless. Yes, when you you gamble, you'd like to mitigate your risk on some level, but at some point you have to go. Listen, if I was afraid of risk, I could have just you know gone and done. I could have worked at a bank, you yeah, know, or something yeah. like that. You mean banks are super risky? There, okay, like you work <laughs> I'm just at a kidding. farmer's market co-op. Yeah, oh my there god, you. are you not seeing what's happening with the harvest this year? <laughs> Could be an elementary school teacher. Perfect. <laughs> no, this no. I've uh, chosen to be poor. Yeah, <laughs> yep. there you go. Um, so Blaine is where is we're wrapping this thing up. Mm-hmm. So he, while you were describing the editing process, I thought of this analogy, mm-hmm. which is in my personal life. I make really good spaghetti. Okay. Like really good spaghetti, but it's involved. It takes like a couple hours to get this really good spaghetti. And by the time I'm done making it, the last thing I want is spaghetti. Spaghetti. So I will make the spaghetti and then have like a ham sandwich for dinner. Yeah. It must be, it it must be really hard to keep going back to this. And were there times where you're like, Nope, I just, I think I'm, I did what I'm going to do here and I don't think I'm going to finish this. I'm not meant for it. Um, there was, I would say that, yeah, a little bit of doubt creeps into your mind because you, you just don't know what it's going to bring. You know, like you could think you could have all these different, you know, fantasies, if you will, like, Oh, you know, whatever. And it'd just be a total dud, you know? And then you're kind of like, wow, I really thought I had something here, but I think if you approach it that way, you're kind of already setting yourself up for failure. Mm-hmm. So I I just, I felt like if there was a story to tell, I'd tell it and that if people wanted to listen to it, they would, you know? And um, I'm definitely one of those people too that I like to do a little bit of everything. So I felt like if it wasn't, if this didn't pan out, you know, in terms of, you know, getting the, the your name out there in terms, you know, in being an author, then I'm kind of like the, like, well, what's the next thing, you know? And so... Um, but fortunately enough, I've had great, I've had a great response from it. So, um, there's just so much unknown. So I feel like you can't really go into it thinking, well, what if it, you know, what if it doesn't work? You know, it's like, you just do it see what happens and you know, the sun will come up the next day, I guess. So 
Very cool. And so we can look forward to the sequel to the nearby yeah. resident. Yeah. So this sometime uh, in mid twenty twenty. Mid twenty twenty. Does the got, resident get closer? Is the resident closer? I was to thinking nearby? it's further away. Oh. It's like the further resident. Maybe. It. Uh, there's definitely <laughs> not to give anything away, but there's there's certainly um, some pretty big stuff that's coming in the second. Is it still in Carlisle? Still in Carlisle. Oh, that town. That town's just screwed. Um, All this action taking place in one small uh, town. I got to say, the second part will be, I think, will be what people want. You know, if you read the first part, you're kind of like, you're kind of left in this like, well, okay, I need, I need that. What else? Well, what's, you know, what's coming next? You know, so that's where part two, I think it'll give people, give the readers, you know, okay, okay, I see where he's going. And then, um, there, there will be a part three to this. Whoa! So there, there is, is that an exclusive on JJ Meets World? <laughs> yeah, I've told people that, but there, uh, yes, to to a larger audience, yes, there will be a part three to this at some point. Um, That's when you go back and you tell that little girl who's now in middle school, "I am famous." Yeah, I am famous. Yeah, um, and then I do have, I have a kind of a comical book coming out. Um, it's called "Don't Don't Go to the DMV on a Friday." Um, which is kind of it just a, it's just a compilation of stories that I um, if, if experiences that I've had just whether it be at the DMV hanging out with friends you know just different things that I you know kind of looking back were comical life lessons I guess um, so that'll be out um, tentatively next next year I don't know exactly when um, and then I have a children's series um, kind of a um, Younger, I would say ages three to six, um, book series coming out. Um, it's the Adventures of Henley the Golden, which is actually my dog's name is Henley, so that's where I get the title from. Oh, Henley! Shout yep. out to Henley! Yeah, yep. Uh, named after uh, Carson Wentz's dog Henley. Oh. That's how we. That's so we're not very original, and we're but. Shout out to Carson on that. Um, oh, I wanted to name my turtle after Carson Wentz's turtle, but he doesn't have one. He, doesn't have, he should have a turtle. Um, so uh, yeah, I have that. That that'll be out sometime next year too. Which the the children's series because um, I had a lot of parents um, approach me after after the book came out, like you know, hey, I would you know just curious, are you ever going to do any younger like right you know aged writing? And I thought about it. You know, it's hard to know whether that would be something you'd want to get into because mm. like you know getting into like youth youth listen to everything you know they're, yeah. it's fun, they're fun y- young adult fiction is a massive genre yeah massive genre so and I, a ton of adults read young adult fiction. Yep, yeah like me yeah yeah so i kind of like looked at him like i'll i'll think about it and then um i i was once again i think i was taking henley for a walk one day and i'm like this is like people love dogs or you know most if, unless you're a cat person, whatever. You um, can be both. You can be both. And, um, but I was like, this would be a great educational hook if there was a dog that could talk and like she has her, her dog friends, but they are like in these different situations. So like one of the, one of the titles will be um, like, I don't know the exact title, but like the whole premise of it is like not to litter, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, Henley and her friends will be at the dog park, and then they'll and see one of the dogs eats the cigarette butt. Yeah, it's like, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. So exactly. So then it's this whole you, you know, had your shots. This, yeah, this whole educational hook of like don't litter, and then there'll be another one that's like, there's that new dog at the park, but nobody is playing with them. Oh, you know. So how can we include everybody? You know. So it'll have these like little educational hooks, 
And I think that'll appeal to, yeah, like I said. Sounds like a PBS series to me. Age, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. it could be. Yeah, yeah. Gotta think <laughs> so, about tomorrow. A lot of stuff. I'd love to do some voice work in Henley. I think I could do a, uh, I could be a bloodhound. <laughs> or if there's an anthropomorphic like fire hydrant that's like, oh, oh yeah. shucks, Henley's coming again. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get pissed all over. <laughs> yeah. It'd be like a lot of like, th- a lot of like liquid in that voice, right? <laughs> so just keep me in mind, okay? Yeah, for yeah, sure. Okay. Or if you want to put me in as a character, I mean, that's fine as well, too. Shout out. Do you like in the Henley books, like, are you in, are you a character in there yourself? No, nope. it'll just, just the dogs. It'll just be more of the perspectives of the animals and the dogs. Um, you you got to keep it pretty rudimentary with you know the the younger group because really, if a kid opens up a book, they're just looking at like the pictures and like the mm-hmm. oh look at the dog. But if the parent it can read it to them, you know, like then there's that involvement for the parent side of it. But then the kid gets the the idea of the animals and, and whatnot. So, you know, a book series I'm really loving right now is that guy who takes famous movies that are not intended for children and turns them into like nighttime books. Like, <laughs> like there's the die hard one that tells the story <laughs> of die hard, but it's a children's like nighttime book. It's amazing. They do. it one. Back That's a good future. There's an idea. Yeah, That's a right? good idea. Shoot. You got a million. Well, listen, we don't want to keep you from writing because obviously you got a lot of projects. That <laughs> a lot, you need a lot of stuff going soon. on for, for 2020, but it should be fun. Uh, it's been a real pleasure, Blaine. And then blainesbookshelf.com is how people can find, uh, some works. And you're also on amazon.com. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, primarily the book is on Amazon. Um, if you go to like Barnes and Noble online, you can order it through them. Um, the nearby resident nearby resident. Yep. And then, um, Blaine's bookshelf. So yeah, that's kind of where, if you want to keep up with just different things happening as far as the writing goes, that's, that's where I'd point you. Well, it was a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks today. for having me on, guys. It's been been awesome. A huge thanks to Natalie Deutsch of Hatch Realty for sponsoring this podcast. Folks, if you're looking to buy or sell a home, contact Natalie Deutsch today because Natalie Deutsch is not only a previous podcast guest, she's somebody who's going to care enough to sell your property for top dollar. She's also going to find you the best price possible if you're purchasing a new home. Last year on average, Natalie earned her clients $4,000 over list price on their homes and sold them faster than the market average. On average, Natalie's selling a home every 3.74 days. That's two homes a week. Those numbers don't lie. Find out why Natalie is one of the top agents in this entire market. Get a hold of her today, Natalie at HatchRealityFM.com. You can also call 701-388-9338 or go on to LiveFargoMoorhead.com. That's LiveFargoMoorhead.com. Read all of her amazing reviews and then listen to her episode of JJ Meets World. Thanks again to Natalie Deutsch of Hatch Realty. That's going to wrap it up for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode of JJ Meets World and would like to help us continue to produce two new episodes every week, you can donate to our Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash JJ Meets World and donate today. Even as little as a dollar a month can go a long way. Visit our website at www.jjmeetsworld.com or hit up our social media, 
We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the sites the kids are using these days. If you'd like to stay up to date on new episodes of JJ Meets World, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or wherever you consume the podcast that you love. JJ Meets World is produced every week by Tucker Lucas. You can find out more about Tucker's work by checking out www.moonbasemaria.com. If you want to get in touch with your host with the most, go to linebenders.com and you can find direct contact info for JJ. So I was reading Blaine's book. I'm pretty sure the character of Cynthia Ray Johnson is based off of me.